Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the incredible privilege to think that right now, uh, we, I, us in our minds are speaking directly to the creator of the universe, the, the king of kings. And Lord, I thank you for that privilege. And I thank you for this opportunity we have to come and sit down and look at uh, something that was written 2,000 years ago and understand what you were trying to tell them and what you're trying to tell us. And Lord, I, I just pray that we would be open to that. All these things we're praying in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Hey, um, real quick before we get into today's passage, and by the way, I, I mentioned this, uh, if, if I think there's some over there. If you haven't already picked up one of these or you haven't put it digitally on your phone and whatever, I find it really hard to write on my phone, though. So anyway, but if you if you pick this up, it'll help you. It just gives us a week to a week uh, uh, flow through. And I will say this: uh, if you if you look at it, where session one is the is the gospel and it has the passage, uh, and then it has reflection questions. That's in the past they would put the discussion questions. This is more for you to think about before we come in here. We'll have a different set of discussion questions. Don't get confused by that. All right, so. I wanted to follow up on something that we taught last, last fall. Last fall, we were going through the parables of Jesus Christ, and uh, in, at one of the lessons, I used the illustration, and you might remember this, of this guy, uh, of, of, there he is, he's about to, pop oh yeah, Hulk Hogan. And uh, we talked about how, how Hulk Hogan when he began in championship wrestling, he was the ultimate good guy, what they call in wrestling uh, the face, the good guy. And then, but then uh, in the middle of his career, or really towards the second half of his career, as his career started going down, all of a sudden he switched and became the bad guy, what they would call the heel. And, uh, and, and, and it was a, such a big deal. I mean, again, this was back in the 90s, I believe. And, 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 and it, was, you know, it, made, it was great for ratings and all this sort of stuff. But I talked about how Jesus Christ, many times in his parables, uh, what the audience thought was going to be the good guys, the religious leaders, the super self-righteous people, would end up being the bad guys in the story. And the bad guys, like the Samaritans, uh, the tax collectors, all these sort of people would end up being the good guy. And Jesus kind of flipped the script on it, and it's really powerful way to communicate. And I just used Hulk Hogan as an example in that. So that was back in, I think it was probably in November, I used that illustration. Well, we ended, you know, uh, the week before Christmas. And after that, a few of you sent me, uh, sent me email notices because this guy, Hulk Hogan, became that guy. Uh, Hulk Hogan, uh, I think it was on the 22nd of December or something like that, him and his wife were baptized. Uh, we're not being critical, his wife number three, uh, but, but, but they got baptized and uh, uh, really excited. He's 70 years old now, all right? And, uh, and he was baptized, and, and he has this quote. He said, on Instagram, he wrote down, he said, uh, he said, uh, Speaking about his baptism, he said, total surrender and dedication to Jesus is the greatest day of my life. No worries, no hate, no judgment, only love. And so, so some of y'all said that to me. I mean, here it is. The, I'm, I'm not saying, well, I'm going to go ahead. I mean, the Saturday morning men's Bible study effect is powerful. I mean, we talk about him, <laughs> and within a few weeks, he's getting baptized and, uh, and says, man, you know, it, it's changed my life. It's a great, I love, Hulk Hogan saying it's the greatest day of my life. All right. So... So not only that, then a week and a half ago, this pops up. So Hulk Hogan and his wife, that's them over there to the left, 
were on their way home from dinner with a good friend of theirs, and this is hard to see over here on the right, but a car in front of them, they're down in South Florida, they were driving along, a car in front of them lost control and flipped over trying to on the interstate. And so they pulled over, they were the first people on the scene, Hulk Hogan and his buddy run up to the car, uh, there's a young lady driving the car, she's the only person in the car, and it's flipped over, and she's caught in there because the airbags have released, and so she's upside down, the airbags have released, and she's kind of just, just caught in the car, they, you know, it's kind of all of a sudden an action movie, what are they going to do? Uh, one of them realized that they needed to uh, get the airbags down to be able to pull her out, but they were inflated. And they didn't have anything to cut. They, they, Hulk Hogan said, I needed a knife. They didn't have so they used the pin that they got from the church where they were baptized, a stolen church pin. Uh, <laughs> nah, you know, they, they hand those out. They used that to puncture the airbags so, they would be re- so that they, the pressure would go down. And they pulled the young lady out, seeming, uh, for the most part, uh, very dazed but, uh, but unhurt. And... Uh, and, 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 you know, it's, I just, and, and so now all of a sudden that, that was on the news and everything. Here it is, you know, imagine you're in a car accident and you're flipped upside down, the airbags deploy, you're caught in there, you're disoriented, and all of a sudden the Hulkster is trying to pull you out of the car. I mean, I just, uh, he, I think it's Hebrews 13 verse 2 says, you know, be kind and hospitable because you never know when you're going to uh, have an angel in your presence. And I never really thought of Hulk Hogan as being an angel, but to that person he was. And that's your update on last fall's lessons. All right, so let's go forward. All right. You don't get this everywhere. Exactly, exactly. Thank you, Bill. Thank you for pointing that out. And uh, yeah, and this is why John is moving to Bowling Green. All right. All uh, right. So, uh, so, so if you have your, your guide here, you'll see that we're starting in verse 10 of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. So 1 Corinthians, uh, uh, like, like many of Paul, well, like all of Paul's letters, uh, the first nine verses are, are an introduction, kind of a, a welcoming and a thanksgiving. He does it in every letter. So we're just going to set that stuff aside and go right to verse 10, all right? And, and, and right in verse 10... We'll start here, and, and, we'll, and we'll see what Paul has to say, because he's going to uh, give us the explanation of why he's writing this section of the letter. If you were with us the last couple of weeks, we talked about the background. The Apostle Paul had spent a couple years in Corinth, uh, probably right at about two years. He's been gone now for a period of time, probably about three years, and, and he's gotten... Uh, we'll see here in just a second, he's gotten people come to him and say, hey, there's some problems back home. Uh, and then he's also received a letter, it appears, that, that describes some very specific problems. And so the book of 1 Corinthians is, is a letter that he writes back to them trying to address these issues. So here we go, we'll pick it out in verse 10, and we'll talk about these issues. Uh, verse 10, uh, chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians. I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another so that there may be no divisions among you and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers, some from Chloe's household, that, that was a lady from the, uh, seemed to be a merchant from the, the, the church there in Corinth, some people from her household, probably some of her servants or employees, have informed me that there are quarrels among you. So Paul, back here in Ephesus, has gotten word from some people who are traveling, doing business, and hey, 
And he goes, hi, oh, house things back in corners. Well, Paul, there's, there's some divisions. There's some quarreling. People are kind of infighting. Again, I must, he must have been shocked, I mean, that anyone within a church would have divisions. Uh, but, uh, but, but that's what's going on. And so, so that is the, the first problem he's going to address. And you'll see this problem kind of woven all the way through the book of Corinthians. There, there's divisions in the church. There's, there's people kind of picking sides, and, and not just picking sides, but picking sides that kind of against each other. And so Paul here in verse 10 says, I appeal to you. And, and that's, a, that's a strong, it doesn't seem that strong to us, but in the Greek, that, that word appeal there is parakaleo, which is a strong word. It's, it's emphasized. It's the same word that Jesus chose to describe the father in the story of the prodigal son who went out to the older brother and appealed with him to come into the house with, with, for the celebration. It's, 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 I beg you, I mean, focus here. I mean, this is a big deal. And so Paul uses a really strong word to say, hey, hey listen, you all here at church, I beg you to stop this, you know? And, and so then he says, I, I appeal to you. I beg, and he says, I appeal to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, he kind of throws in that, hey, I don't just appeal to you as the, as your, as the church leader, as the person who founded the church. He says, no, no, I appeal to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. What's interesting is, is that that wording is really, it's, and it's, we still use wording very similar to that. That's the wording that would be said over you at your baptism. Uh, this is a new church. Most of these people had been baptized in the last few years. And I remember that as they were being baptized, I baptize you now in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. I, I, I do this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is language that they would be really, really familiar with. And Paul says, hey, hey, I beg you in the name of Jesus Christ to not have divisions. Because what he's saying is you are having divisions because you've taken your eyes off of the main thing, Jesus Christ. So he's trying to bring their attention back to that. I mean, and again, it's been happening for 2,000 years. I mean, in church divisions, we, we start focusing on something other, other than Jesus Christ. I got to tell you, I'm, I'm feeling a little guilty that we didn't read the first nine verses. And because Saturday's Bible says, we've done this for years, we do a verse-by-verse study. So let's do this. We're just going to read through verses one through nine so I don't feel bad. And if you see something pop out at you, if you see something that seems to be consistent or important, just keep that in mind and we'll read on. So here we go. Let's go back and do it. I, I don't, don't want to be accused of not reading the full gospel. So here we go. Uh, verse one. Uh, <laughs> Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes, and we'll talk more about him later, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, uh, called to be holy together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank God for you because of his grace given you in Jesus, in Christ Jesus, for in him you have been enriched in every way, in all your speaking and all your knowledge, because our testimony about Christ was confirmed in you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will keep you strong to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God, who has called you into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, is faithful. Did you notice anything in the first nine verses? Well, he is complimenting Merle. That's good. He many times starts the letter. It's kind of like, 
a good politician, says good things about you, and then tells you how you're wrong. But you're right. But something else, Paul. Either Paul. Hey, Paul. Yeah. So, so, so he uses that phrase there in verse 10. I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That phrase, our Lord Jesus Christ, that's the fifth time he used it in the first 10 verses. And he also threw in a few other Jesus Christ. Not as a curse word but as an emphasis. So in those first 10 verses, five times he uses that phrase, in our Lord Jesus Christ. He won't use that phrase again until chapter 15. But here in these first 10 verses, he's saying, guys, let me start this letter by telling you what you're doing right, but let me also start this letter by emphasizing it's all about Jesus Christ. Because the problem is, it isn't. (laughs) I mean, the problem in the church is because things have become important other than Jesus Christ. And people are finding their identity in things other than Jesus Christ. And so he's, he starts off this letter by saying, hey, hey, I'm thankful for you. But what I'm really thankful for, and you've heard me say it about eight times in the first 10 verses, is something about Jesus. And so Paul, uh, not so subtly, is saying, guys, Let me start this letter by pointing out that everything about this letter is going to be about Jesus Christ, not about you, not about them. And again, it's it's often in the church we we, we do that. We get get caught up. And so so I I just want to say, for the last 2,000 years, churches have been having divisions, oftentimes, oftentimes. Now, again, I will say this. Sometimes it's over doctrine, and Paul will jump in on that. Like the book of Galatians, they were having doctrinal issues, and he jumped in on it. But this isn't about doctrine, it appears. This is about other things. And for 2,000 years, we've been doing it. So, so, so instead of focusing on Jesus Christ, they get caught up. And just help me with this. We'll just brainstorm real quick. Just church divisions. And again, I don't mean a church doesn't have to split to have a divisions within it. You can still kind of stay together. But, there's, but so instead of being centered under Jesus Christ, we become splintered based upon... Music is a classic. There's one of our elders had to throw that out there. I mean, it, I mean, that has split a lot of churches over music, what style, all that stuff. But it's not just music. I mean, how we spend our money, that becomes a big dividing thing. Who gets to determine how we spend the money? What colors are used in the sanctuary? Yes, Luke? Yeah, yeah, we almost had a big split over, the, over a Bible. Now, not this one, per se. Uh, but, but, but again, it was, it was a group that there was some uncertainty, and he says that was a major moment because people started choosing sides. Well, I'm a part of this, or you're a part of that. You're not a part of this. And so where it became, but again, it was a Bible study that was threatening to split a church. That seems like an oxymoron, does it not? But, but that, that, that happens because it wasn't about that it was about who's in control, who has the truth, all that sort of stuff. Anybody else? What, what did we split over? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he only had like five or six. He just kept on using them over and over and over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Keep the main thing the main thing. The main thing. Okay, 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 okay. All right, we've, I mean, we're five minutes in and we've quoted Bob twice. All right, okay, all right. All right, okay. All right, uh, anybody else? Uh, yes, sir. Oh, favorite preachers. I mean, it's, it's hard not to do, right? I mean, particularly at a place that has multiple people speaking. And so, oh, man, I, I really, I, I, it's, just, it's the elephant in the room. Let's go ahead and do it. 
Right? Uh, how many of you would say your favorite, we've already talked about him, I mean, I know we know your demographic, but how many of you, like Bob Russell's your, your favorite preacher we've had here at Southeast? Oh yeah, that's okay, it's all right, nobody's, nobody's filming or anything. <laughs> uh, one of you I just saw walk in, whose favorite, I, it, it always felt like Dave Stone spoke to you, 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 re, you really heard from Dave well, right? Anybody else? Okay, one of you didn't raise your hand, okay, okay. And then, uh, I got you. And then, and, uh, because Dave's different from Bob, because Dave showed more emotion, Dave, uh, uh, you know, uh, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and he was very effective with that. And then, then Kyle comes along, and Kyle is, I mean, he is so bright, so thoughtful. I mean, he's such a good communicator. He can stand on that instep and act like he's going to fall. I mean, he moves around and stuff. And how many of you would say, oh, yeah, Kyle, man, he talks to me in a way that is really. So, so here's the deal. Who cares? I mean, I hate to say this, but I mean, it, it, that doesn't really matter. I mean, I mean and you can, it's okay to have a favorite. It's only when you say, because that's my favorite, then that person, I bring them down or something like that. But that's, that's what people do, though, unfortunately. Well, yeah, we'll get to that later. All right. Um, uh, so, so there's all sorts of reasons for churches to have divisions within the body based upon preferences a lot of times based upon power and influence. And that definitely seems to be what's going on here in Corinth. Power, influence, control, who's in charge, who's most important. And it's so easy for any group and even church groups to get caught up in that. All right, so, uh, so, so, so Paul then, then goes on and does this very interesting thing here, uh, down here in verse 11, I'm sorry, verse 12. He says, uh, we'll, we'll start with verse 11 and roll into verse 12. He says, my brothers, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among He says, hey, there's divisions. You got, you got, you're arguing within the church. And he says, what I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. That, by the way, that's the kind of the Hebrew name for Peter. Okay, that's the apostle Peter. Still another, I follow Christ. And he goes, listen, it's almost like you all have, and, and, he, and he, just, he says it, he says, it's like you've got four different groups there. You've got the, the Paul group, you've got the, uh, the Apollos group. Now, now, Apollos, we'll talk, I probably misspelled that. Are there two L's? Is there one P? Yeah, yeah, you know, there you go. That's what you get, okay? All right, uh, and, then, and then you got Cephas, which, is, which again is Peter, all right? The Apostle Peter. And, and then you got a group that says, we're the Christ group. Okay, which seems like the right answer. You know, it always does. But uh, so what he's saying, and, and again, there's, there's, for 2,000 years, there's been uh, commentators have argued or discussed or thought about, does Paul mean that there's, there's literally these four groups in, in Corinth, or is he saying, you know, he's, kinda, he's trying to be polite and not call people by name, and so he's using kind of, for models for it, actually, for you and me, it's not going to make that much of a difference. But let's think about this. If, if, if there were four groups like based upon this at the church there in Corinth, what would they be based on? Because what, back over here, Eric said you know, about, about preachers, and they're all kind of church leaders in a sense, but each one is different. So, so what, what would give, if, if, if people were say, hey, listen, I'm in the Paul group, what would they point to as their as their, the, the, the thing about Paul that would make them follow him. 
Boy, that was really poorly worried. I apologize for that. But let me just say, he, he's, the, he's the founder of the church. I mean, he, he started the church. Uh, he, he's the one who, who started it, got it going. He was there for two years. Uh, he, he's, he's the person that they're sending a letter to, to to try to sort this. I mean, he's, he's the guy. He, he founded it and stuff. Now, now Apollos, uh, again, if, if you've done some studying in the past, or what, what do we know about Apollos? He came from Alexandria, which is Egypt, uh, which was a great city of learning. Okay, Paul? He knows the scripture really well. And not only that, again, he, he's, he's a really, really good communicator, it appears. Uh, Paul would say, yeah, he's a lot better talker than I am. Paul could write a pretty good letter, but from what we understand, he wasn't an amazing speaker. But Apollos, I mean, he could put together a sermon. He was a really good speaker. He was a very good communicator and stuff. And so, and so I mean, he's, he's, he's a traveling evangelist. And, and he had been trained up by Priscilla and Aquila, the same couple that the Apostle Paul did a lot of work with. Uh, he, had, he had been mentored by them. I mean, he, he's a great guy. And, and Paul, Paul will later send him back there. But, I mean, Apollos, I mean, he's a, he's a communicator. I mean, he is... And I tell you, my sense is on a Sunday morning, he's a guy you'd want to go and listen to. I mean, he, he, was, he was, again, uh, you know, using our analogy of uh, favorite speakers, I mean, I think he was their best speaker they'd ever had. And so you say, man, we're, 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 with, we're with Apollos. I mean, and not only is he a really good talker, I mean, the sense is for at that time to be a communicator, also you looked good, and, you, you, and Paul would say, yeah, I don't look good, and I don't talk that great. All right, then, then Cephas, Peter, now, what's interesting is, at this time, Peter's not been to Corinth. Why would people say, we're in the, we, we follow Peter? What, what, what about Peter would cause a group there to say, hey, we follow him? Oh, yeah, yeah there you go. He's the rock. I mean, we got Hulk Hogan. We got the rock. I mean, I mean he, is, he is the apostle. Now, Paul says he's an apostle, but Peter is the apostle. I mean, he, he, he is, he's in Jerusalem. I mean, he's, he's where the church started. He was with Jesus. And so, so it's, it'd be easy to say, man, you, we follow him because he's the, Paul founded our church, but he founded the church, the church, you know? And so, you know, so it'd be easy to go with that. Now, and, then, and then Christ. Now, again, you would think that that's, that's the right answer. But Paul, does, Paul doesn't communicate it. Paul communicates like that's just to one other group. So who would be the people who say, oh, you know what? You follow Paul, and you follow Apollos, and you follow Cephas, Peter, but we, we follow Christ. What is that group, do you think? Okay, we have Christians over here. Well, they're, they're all Christians, and we have, what did you say? Pharisees. Okay. How, how do you mean a Pharisee? Oh, they kind of elevate themselves there a little bit more. Yeah, well, yeah, Paul said snobbish. I, I think, again, I'll, these are the spiritual people. And you know that because they tell you that. Yeah, yeah. You know, because real spiritual people don't tell you that. But these people say, oh, yeah, you all do your thing, but we, we follow Jesus. And, and, and we've, got, we've got the higher, not, we got, we're deeper, we're, we're, more, we're more spiritual than the rest of it. And so it appears to be, because Paul doesn't put it as a, being a positive, he says we've got these four groups. So, so that's one way. Of, but also you could do them based upon, actually, 
again, kind of uh, uh, ethnic or cultural background. What is, uh, Paul's many things, but one of the things Paul is, is he's, yeah, he's Roman. Thank you, Paul. He's Roman, where Apollos, even his name and his communication and his demeanor speaks much more to who? Yeah, to the Greeks. Now, we got, we got Cephas, Peter, oh yeah, there you go, it's the large Jewish community. The very first believers here in Corinth were Jews who had said, we see the Messiah. And again, these are still just the spiritual people. All right, okay, uh, but what, well, I tell you what it is, some of these people would be people who don't neatly fit into one of these. And they say, you know what, if we don't neatly fit into one of those, let's start our own group. So we too can have a group. All right, and so, uh, so, so those, that's another way of seeing it. Uh, uh, here's another thing. These groups are kind of known what we're known for, okay? So, so if, if Paul is the, is the, represents, the, maybe it's this kind of people from a Roman background, what makes them important in their minds? What, 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 what are they known for? Yeah, there you go. You got it. It's power. It's all about power. I mean, the Romans rule the world, and if we, if we rule the world, we might as well be in charge of this church as well. I mean, and if you're, if you're, imagine if you're a Roman military or political person or just a person of Roman heritage and you're a part of this church, you rule the world so you assume that you should be in charge of the church. It just makes sense. Now, the Greeks, oh, yeah, it's, 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 it's the intellect, it's the, it's the wisdom. I mean, yeah, sure, the Romans are in charge of the world. They just did that by brute strength. But we have changed the world by our thoughts, by our intellect, by our wisdom. So, so you've got that. Of course, of course then you've got, the, again, the, the Jews. What are, what, why, are, why, are, why should they be in charge of the church? I mean, I mean they're the chosen. They've they got this heritage. They've got money. Okay, that, 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 well, you're probably, they probably had some money as well there. In, in that. But, but, they, but mostly, as far as the church, well, you're right, money does that. Ooh, yeah, you're right, they got it. And then, of course, you got the spiritual people. <laughs> because we're deeper than the rest of you, we should be in charge. Because we can't be in charge anywhere else, so here we want to be in charge. I, I tell you guys, I don't know exactly, we don't know exactly what these groups were, but they kind of break down in a pretty straightforward way that, that in one way or another, the folks there in Corinth had broken up into groups and they're, I think in many times it's based upon we tend to group with people like us. So here's one of the things we talked about last week is, well, let, let me, before I run ahead, why would the church get caught up in this? Why, why, why would... Why would this, I mean, this, this, this early church that, that had started out great, why would it devolve into these groupings like this? What, why, what about human nature causes us to do that? All right, so, so pride and, and pride about, because about, they can be, I mean, they could all be proud of being children of God, but instead they get proud about my particular piece of that. Okay, okay, uh, 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 yes, yes. Tribalism. We tend to hang out with groups like ourselves. We mentioned this last week that you know the old statement that the most segregated hour of the week is Sunday morning. Uh, again, one of my favorite commentators is a guy named Kenneth Bailey, who's lived 
for decades in the Middle East. He goes, you know, the Middle East is very diverse, but there's never been a true melting pot where everybody gets along. You tend to stay with your group. And so you, and you look, you read the news, and in the Middle East, it's this group versus that group. And even within countries, it's this versus that and this and that. So we like to say, hey, we got a lot of diversity here, but even within the diversity, people tend to come within their groups and then butt heads with you. Richard. Yeah, it's comfortable to say stick with my group and then it's then we want my group to go to the top. Yeah. We, 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 again, and we talk about tribes, but you want your tribe to be the lead tribe. I mean, and so so that that's that, that's kind of what happens is is the Romans in the church say, you know, we should be in charge. The the Greeks say, really, we're in Greece, come on, and we're the ones who are smart. We should be in charge. And the Jews, come on, you guys, you guys are all just trying to become us. And then you got those spiritual people who say, why can't you just become enlightened like us? And we should be, uh, clearly we should be in charge. We're the spiritual ones. And so all these groups are kind of and I think within these little groups, they all look the same, and the other groups look different. And therefore, we end up with divisions. Yes. Yeah, they all speak their own. And even if they all speak Greek, you got spiritual Greek, and you got power Greek, and you got intellect Greek, and all this other stuff. And so we speak our own language. And that reinforces our little grouping, our little grouping. Right. All right. So, and, and again... It goes on and on. Let me, let me throw out a few other things. Again, I just mentioned that they have a very diverse culture, but I would also say they have a very segregated culture. I mean, Roman culture in general, but Middle Eastern human culture, even when it's diverse, tends to be segregated. And in Corinth, had people from all over the world, but I'll guarantee you they were in their groups, and it happened in the church as well. Because again, the culture impacted the the church and not vice versa. And another thing is within, again, the Greek world, the Mediterranean world, but and, and particularly in Corinth, uh, not, not, I mean, certainly in Athens as well, they had a thing, uh, you know, again, they didn't have uh, social media and they didn't have television, they didn't have ESPN. So what do they do for entertainment? One of the things they do for entertainment is listen to really good talkers talk. And so they would go and they would have speakers and uh, people who would, practice rhetoric or uh, philosophers, uh, you know, all these different different ways you talk. It's basically people who would come into town, someone like Apollos, who's very learned and a skilled communicator, he'd come into town and he would, he, matter of fact, you would come into town and you would announce that you were going to speak, people would come and listen to you speak, and, and you try to develop, a. actually you developed disciples. It's the exact same word that we use in scripture for followers of Christ. It was just followers. And so you would get disciples and your disciples would come after you and your disciples would want you to be what? The best in town. Oh, I, you know. And so, hey, oh yeah, just like back to your favorite preacher. So if one of you says, boy, you know, I, I, I Kyle is great. You go, yeah, you know, he's kind of young. So the other group tries to bring him down. Oh, you know, I love how, how Dave shows his emotions. Well, it'd help if he would just study more. I mean, we, we try to bring him down, you know. I mean, oh, gosh, you know, good grief. Bob Russell, he, I mean, uh, he, he, he's just the best. Really? I mean, 
Come on. You know, so your other group tends to bring the other groups down. And because you want your person to, and so that was their culture had a, a conflict of personalities. It, it was built into their culture. It's what they did. And, and speakers would be, who's the best and who do you follow? And also the wealthy people in town would sponsor those speakers. And if you're sponsoring the guy who's the most popular, then that gives you importance as well. And it also causes them to kind of be indebted to you because you sponsor them. You would send your kids to them to be educated in the classic arts of rhetoric. And so it was built into their culture. And so Paul's saying it's happening in the church. You all have split up into kind of main leaders and who you want to follow just like you do in the culture where you, this person follows this speaker and this person. Does, and it, so it's just carried over into the church. Paul, you were going to say something. We want a champion. We want a hero. I, I've always said this. Churches, big, small, whatever, they want their pastor to be special, to be better than the other church's pastor. You, you want your pastor to be really good at something, to have a great testimony or be good at golf or drive a nice car, whatever it is. You, you want your pastor to stand out because somehow we get our own significance out of that. Because my leader is somebody special. And that's what they're doing in the church. And Paul's going like, what are you all doing? You're, you're, you've created a cult of personality instead of the, the cult of, of Christ himself. Yeah, 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 Bill. Yes. 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 Yeah. So, 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 so Bill's point, and it's a good one, is, uh, is that is when the church started, they had a common focus and a common leader. Paul was bringing them. Now, he, he didn't monopolize. He would bring other people in. But, but there, there was a common focus. We were part of this. We were, we were starting from scratch. It was an exciting time, and the church grew, and we were all focused on Jesus Christ and the personal transformation of people. But over time, and without Paul there, they kind of flew, they filtered over to more of a where the culture says, let's pick sides. Let me ask you this. For church unity, for church unity, which is better? A time of uh, great challenge in a church or a time of great peace in a church? For church unity. Yeah, challenge. Churches tend to come together, nations tend to come together in a difficult or emergency or a, an important situation. Hey, 9 11, on 9-12, all of America is all together. Five years later, we need to get rid of those people from our country or this or that because peace, quote-unquote, tends to make our minds go to lesser things like who's in my group. And so, so you're right, so Bill makes a point of, hey, when Paul left, they were all unified. But over time, and maybe even under their own success, they become divided. 
And it happens over and over and over. Right? We, we, we've got to keep going. Let's look at the clock. Does that really say? Yeah, it does say that. Okay, all right, all right. All right. Let's do this. All right. So, so here we go. Um, so, 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 so then, so then, 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 then Paul, Paul talks here. And, and so let me just say, is this that big of a deal? I mean, there's like doctrinal issues. He's all over, but he's really over this. So what's the big deal? So, so he, he says here, back here when he says, uh, in verse 10, he says, I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of the Lord Jesus, that you agree with one another so there may be no divisions. And then down here in verse 13, he says, is Christ divided? That, that word for, for divisions, it, it's, it's not just like, hey, you have different groups. He says, he says, the church has been ripped apart. I mean, I want to illustrate it real quick here with this, uh, with this nice piece of firewood. We're, we're going to let that be representative of, uh, of the church, okay? Ooh, sorry about that screen. Okay, um, so I tell you what, Marvin, can you hang on to this while I split it? No, just kidding, just kidding. I'm not, I wouldn't do it. I, I got my little log splitter here. Let me see if this works here today. I shouldn't do stuff like this without practicing. But uh, so, 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 you know, we, we got the, the, the log. And so, so what's happening in the church is almost nothing. Okay. Well, it's, it's above my head. All right. Okay. Whew. Okay. So it's it split, it, it, you know, and we, we like to split. I mean, split wood is good. I mean, it's handy. It, it makes it easier to start my fire today. But, you know, the problem is with split wood, it's really hard to put back together. And Paul's saying, hey, listen, guys, you, you're, you're splitting the church. I mean, you're ripping it apart. And, and you may think it's, it's helpful to determine who's who, but what you're doing is you're just you're tearing it up. And it's the same word he would use for divisions, because again, he's a tent maker. If you ripped a tent, I'm gonna have to sew that thing back together. And it's not gonna be easy. And Paul's saying, you all are dividing the church over. Well, Paul says here, listen to what he says. He says, he says, is Christ divided? Why do you divide? Christ isn't divided. Was Paul crucified for you? He said, you want to follow me? Why don't you follow the guy that died for you, okay? Uh, were you baptized into the name of Paul? Uh, uh, real quick, uh, again, we've talked about Bob Russell. How many of you were personally baptized by Bob Russell? Wow. You know what that means? Absolutely nothing. I mean, <laughs> I mean Bob Russell or... The intern that happened to get assigned that service doesn't make any difference because it's not who did the baptism, it's who you were baptized into, Jesus Christ. And so the Apostle Paul, and so he takes a little aside here. I love this. This is, this is Paul being very real. Verses 14 uh, through 16, I think. He goes, he goes, listen, I'm thankful that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius. Those are two guys. They were church leaders. He says, I'm glad I didn't baptize anybody but them. Then he goes, well, so no one can say that you were baptized into my name. So Paul said, listen, I didn't want people saying that Paul, that, you know, Paul, you know, baptized me. Then he goes, oh, yeah, I did also baptize the household of Stephanus. Uh, beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. He has a little moment, a little senior moment there. And he goes, listen. And again, it was years before. It was several years before. He says, listen, I just baptized a couple of you, and I'm glad I only baptized a couple of you because 
the idea that it would be more significant that I baptized you than someone else, that's, that's ridiculous. Because it doesn't matter who did the baptism, it's to whom you're baptized into. But it's so easy to get caught up into that, that, that sense of, again, the personality cult. And he says, you guys, you guys it's, it's just crazy why you would do that. Uh, and, and so th- then, then he continues on here. He says, uh, if you have verse 17, here he goes. He says, for Christ did not send me to baptize. Not, not that he's against baptizing people. I mean, but Paul says, that's not what I was sent for. But I was sent to preach the gospel. Uh, and again, you'd hear Paul say that all the time. So here's what's interesting to me is they, Paul never defines the word gospel. He just uses it. And so it must be a term that they're familiar with. Gospel, the good news. You all know that that's literally the good news. And, and, and in the gospels, <laughs> that's funny, there I go, uh, the, the four books of the Bible that talk about Jesus Christ, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they use that term or good news. And, and, then, it, and then Paul uses it like crazy and it's a significant thing. But what is the good news? Is it who baptized you? What is the good news? That, that, that your preacher's a better speaker than the guy over at the Methodist church? You know, what is the, and he says, no, no, the good news, the gospel is always, always about Jesus Christ. And Paul would say, his life, death, burial, and resurrection, and how you can be a, be a part of that because of what he did. It's not what you do, it's what he does. And I mean, we, we'll, you know, in your groups today, you'll talk about that some. He says, I came to preach the gospel, and then he throws this in here, not with words of human wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. So he throws in, he says, listen, I came to preach the gospel, and he throws in this, and this phrase has bothered people for a long time. He says, not with words of human wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. What's his point there? Not with words of human wisdom, lest the cross be emptied of its power. Jerry? Okay, so, so Jerry says uh, you, need to focus not on, uh, you need to focus on the gospel, that message of the cross, not the person giving the message. Okay? Matter of fact, this verse has been used, I think, incorrectly to kind of, we need to dumb down the gospel. I mean, you, you can't, you don't, don't try to be a deep thinker. Let, you know, I don't think that's what he's saying, but he's saying if the focus gets to be me and the way I communicate instead of what I'm communicating, then I've messed up. And, and, and that's easy to do. It's e- easy for the speaker to do because I got to tell you, every speaker that comes along, every preacher who comes along knows they're being compared to the last preacher and now to the preachers online. And you want to somehow impress people and Paul says, man, Never let me get caught up in trying to impress you instead of just trying to tell you and impress you with, with the gospel. Yeah, yeah fancy words. But again, but we ought to use fancy words to help communicate. So it's, it's a little bit of a catch-22, but Paul says, listen, I came to preach the gospel, and, 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 not, and not just with pretty words, but just with the truth and, and how to do that best. I think he's also doing a little bit of slam to the people who are kind of distra- uh, discount him because he's not as good of a talker as Apollos or others. All right, uh, let, let's go on now because we got to move through here because I want to get through the whole first chapter because I'm a Pharisee. So here we go. All right, uh, verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved is the power of God. And then he, he quotes here from uh, 
from Isaiah, he says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligence, I will frustrate. So he says here, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those of us who are being saved is the power of God. Now, and as, and we're going to read forward here in a little bit because this is a speech. And again, we lose it in the English translation, but this is a brilliant piece of writing by the Apostle. He, may, he says he wasn't a great talker, but he could write like crazy. And, and this has elements of a Jewish prophecy, and it's very similar to the Greek uh, philosopher, Paraclete, blah, blah, blah. It's brilliant. But before we go through that, let me just say he's going to talk a lot about foolishness and wisdom. And he says the foolishness of God is greater than the wisdom of man. And the, and the weakness of God is greater than the power of this world. What's the foolishness of the gospel? Now, again, i got to say to you, 2,000 years later, we miss out on some of this. But what's the foolishness of the, at the time when, when Paul says, man, the gospel is foolishness to the world. It just doesn't make any sense. What, what's the foolishness? Earl. Okay, so, so that's part of the foolishness is it's not based upon you. And everything in, in humankind says it's up to you. And the gospel says it's not really up to you. It, it, it's what Christ has done, and you merely ex- receive that. So, so it's not, it's, that's foolishness. All right, Paul. Okay, okay so, 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 so we're going to put our trust in a guy who died on a cross. Now, again, the cross to us, I mean, so, some of you are wearing a cross right now. At that time, you would never wear a cross because particularly in Greek and Roman culture, I mean, it really, well, in Jewish culture as well, the, 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 cross, the, the cross was such a negative and disgusting thing that a Roman citizen couldn't be hung on a cross. We only did that for slaves and, and, and enemies. But, but also, you would never talk about it in public settings because it was so disgusting. And this group bases it on the cross. That's foolishness. I mean, because that's an embarrassment, and you put your hero on the cross. And, and, and he died. Did he die in battle? Not military-wise. Did, did he die, you know, having seized power? Not by the world standards. And so our leader is a guy that had a so-so three years of ministry and then died on a cross. That's foolishness. What else is foolish? So, 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 so it's based upon not on power but on love. That, that's foolishness. You can't base it on love. Yes, sir. Oh, it's, it's, it's the upside-down thing. The whole world and all of its religions kind of are the same thing with different names. And the gospel comes along and says, oh, it's all upside-down. The last will be first. The poor will be rich. The, you know, the cursed will be blessed. I mean, it's, it's upside-down. It's foolishness. Hey, and by the way, your hero, not only did he die on a cross, he was born in a manger to a couple teenagers who didn't have a thing. I mean, that's foolishness. And, but he, he is, he's God. Oh, he's only one God. Again, that was foolish to everybody but the Jews. Only the Jews believe that there's only one God. And so all this is craziness. It's foolishness. And Paul goes, exactly. Exactly. And that's the way. So now that's the setup. Let's, let's go then. Jerry, you've already had three comments. We've got to go. Here, so here we go. Because uh, we've got to get through this. So I set all this up. Now listen to what Paul said. Because this is just a beautiful speech here. So we'll, we'll just walk through it and listen to it. Beginning in verse 20. He goes, where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? 
Where is the philosopher of this age? He is speaking right to that Greek uh, pride of they're the smartest people there's ever been. Right? So where, where, where are these? He says, has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. He says, listen, it, it, it seems like a foolish message if you don't believe it, but if you do believe it, it saves you. Uh, verse 22, he goes, Jews demand miraculous signs. Remember they used to say to Jesus, prove to yourself who us are. Do a miraculous sign to prove that you're the Messiah. And their Messiah would come in military political power. Show us power. Right? So, so the Jews demand miraculous signs. The Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. <laughs> what? Right? Yeah, it's a stumbling block for the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, again, it wasn't by you, you've been called by him, uh, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. You know, and it'd be easy for Paul to say, hey, listen, uh, hmm, Pilate, the guy that, crucif that, 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 that put uh, uh, Christ gave him the death sentence. Where's he at now? He's dead and gone. Yeah, but where's Christ? Well, he's dead and gone and resurrected, gone into heaven. I mean, he, he's outlasted everything. Of course, this is 2,000 years later. Again, the foolishness of Christ has outlasted everything. All right, here we go. Uh, verse 26. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. <laughs> now he's getting kind of personal. He says, not many of you were all that wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. You're just a bunch of average Joes to be quite honest. And you know what? But, he, but God chose you. But, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, who is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. These, these groups have said, this is why we're the most important. And Paul's saying, you're not that important. It's only Christ. And he ends with this verse 31. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. If you're going to boast in something, boast in Jesus Christ. Not that you're the founder of the church, or he's a really good talker, or we come from the Jewish lineage, or we're more spiritual than everybody else. No, if you boast in something, Boast in Jesus Christ. Two thoughts to end. Uh, Hulk Hogan retired in 2012. So for the last 11 years, I mean, he's just, but I mean, he was, he was, he had a lot to boast for. I mean, he, for a period of about 20 years, he was as well known as practically anybody in our culture. But I love, and I don't know what will happen with the rest of his life. He's, he's 70 now. Old, according to Chris Morgan. Okay, all right. Uh, uh, but, uh. But uh, I love that comment where he says, oh, what was his line there? His line was, let me be accurate. Um, uh, here it comes. He says, total surrender and dedication to Jesus is the greatest day of my life. No worries, no hate, no judgment, only love. That's a man who's boasting in his Savior. So we might want to pray for Hulk Hogan that that will grow even more and more in his life here's another here's a couple other thoughts it's so easy within the church to get into this 
personality cult thing of, of you know because we want our guy to be the guy or whatever and stuff. It's just, it's just, it's 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 foolishness, Paul would say. But you know, I have to say this is me sermonizing here a little bit. So we've been together as as a group here for since last August, and hey, we started with some divisions within this group. And I have to say that that I would say, hey, hey, are you a Saturday morning guy or are you a man challenge guy? I mean, I. I I mean, I mean, I mean, I would because because we didn't we weren't sure, and so we would we had these false divisions, and it's all because well, I mean, I'll tell you right now, the Saturday morning guys, man, we've been here for thirty three years. Some of us have been here for thirty three years, and so clearly we're this is our home turf, and the and the man shines, guys. We're the future because you are all going to be dead within a decade. Okay, I mean, uh, we're. And, and, and we're more spiritual because we discuss it afterwards, and you all go to Cracker Barrel and, and tip poorly, all right? I mean, you know, so it's really easy to, to do that side thing. And within that, hold it, we're Saturday morning men's Bible study, and as long as we focus on God's Word and what He's teaching me today, then we're going to be unified. But as soon as we get down to where my table is and what the thing says and who gets to do this and, and what about that. It just, it's been happening for 2,000 years. So I would encourage all of us to be careful in our own hearts and minds that within this wonderful umbrella of the church, we don't decide to make something else more important. All right, our, our questions before, before we close in prayer, because I want you to think about these questions. Here's our last slide. And this, I think this, this, this is, I think, a good thing for you to ponder. When it comes to divisions in the church, are you a, a divider, a protector? In other words, you, you kind of try to make sure everybody gets along. Are you a healer who tries to bring things back together? Or to be quite honest, none of the above because you're just floating along. Secondly, in your own words, how would you define the gospel? How has it impacted you personally? I just, again, we, Paul, you just throws out that term gospel. What, is, what does that mean to you and stuff? And something beyond just good news. What, what, what is that good news? And then finally, what is something you find yourself being tempted to trust in, to be proud of, to boast in, instead of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Most of us have something that we find some identity, and that's not an inherently bad thing, but if that identity is greater than your identity in Jesus Christ, then it's found a misplaced thing. Guys, if you're going to boast about something, that was right out of Jeremiah. Paul pulled that right out of Jeremiah. If you're going to boast in something, boast in Jesus Christ. Don't boast in your speaker or your place or your power, your influence, your accomplishments. That's the wisdom of the world, which is foolishness to Christ. Let's close in prayer. Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your blessings. I thank you that you would choose the foolishness of this world, which is us. <laughs> because even this gathering is foolishness to many people. Why would guys get up at 7 o'clock to go listen to somebody talk for an hour? Well, that's foolishness. And Lord, I thank you that somehow you helped us to see that your foolishness is greater than any wisdom. Lord, I pray that that would fall deep into our hearts. Lord, all these things are praying in Jesus' glorious name and that you would help us to be more and more unified under you than under anything else. All these things we pray in his name. Amen. You see you next week. Read chapter 2.